Hello, everybody. We are excited to be back for another season. When was the last time you had sex? What? <laughs> what? When was the last I heard you, dude, but my parents listened to this. Okay, answer the question. What are you, the feds? <laughs> what are you, a puritan or something? Oh, I see what this is. You You're... kids these days, mm. you just want to play Roblox all day. You probably, you probably haven't even had one abortion. <laughs> what happened? To good old fashioned thumb in hole fun. What? You don't want to mess around in the back of a truck? You're too non binary for that? I could make doing stuff in the back of a truck very non binary if given the opportunity. So. This is America 2023. And today we're going to be talking about the culture war and why the internet is calling Gen Z the Puritine generation. Yeah, sorry we were gone for two months, but luckily we're here with more culture war content. So, in case you were feeling just like stupidly optimistic for some reason, don't worry. I'm Evangelia. And I'm Emily. And welcome to What's Gonna Happen. Because everyone's always like, oh, our generation is so gender fluid and so racially ambiguous and everyone's polyamorous and everything's everything at the same time. But then, like, nobody is, like, hooking up. Like, the compulsion towards casual hookups seems to be dwindling with us. I mean, I've said it before and I'll say it again. They're calling us Puritines. Yes, and that is obviously a play on the word Puritan. Right, and for those of you who don't know what a Puritan is, it was a movement within Protestantism because all of the evil in the world begins with them. Mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of funny how the word Puritan, it actually started as an insult for people who wanted to change or quote-unquote purify the Anglican church in like the 1500s, 1600s, and it became like a legitimate religious movement called Puritanism. Like people say, oh, the Puritans were the ones who first came to America, and it's just one of my favorite things about human nature and language how so many words that we use to commonly refer to things just evolved out of insults <laughs> i i love that when, like when else has that happened the origins of the term nazi the term nazi was derogatory at first who who were calling them that? Like okay, the Nazis like political opponents and stuff, or I I don't know if there was it was their political opponents or even like you know people who were fighting against them in World War Two, but like of the many people who were against them, some of them started calling them Nazis. It was like a shortened version of like whatever National Socialist German Workers Party is in German. It was a shortened version of that, and they called them that as like a diss, and then it, they just reclaimed it. Oh, okay, reclamation. Yeah, flip that narrative. Right. <laughs> so according to Wikipedia, a puritine is a portmanteau of puritan and teenager used to describe a young person, typically a teenager, who is prudish and uncomfortable about sexual content on the internet. Many are anti-porn, but not typically anti-LGBTQ. It goes on to say that young people are like the least sexually active generation in decades. And some would say this is because of a greater awareness of trauma and sexual autonomy. Some would say it's a result of the Me Too movement and also internet porn leading to more mm -hmm. people becoming opposed to it. Yeah, yeah. Whatever it is, it's gross to shame teenagers for not wanting to have sex. However, I do think it is like worth looking into why that is the case. You know, you'd think that a porn addicted generation would be the generation that's like on the prowl for consent 
consecutive meaningless hookups, but it kind of feels like we're in more of a commitment era, maybe because like we're in uncertain times, so people feel the need to secure stability in their immediate relationships, or I don't know. That could definitely be a part of it. So where did all of this come from? Like, what did that word gain traction? When was it created? So according to the Rolling Stone article, are sex negative, quote, puritines actually taking over the internet by E.J. Dixon? It's not clear when exactly it first came up, but it's first noted in a 2021 Twitter thread about the show Hannibal, where somebody was, like, fetishizing Hannibal and people were <laughs> shaming him because he's a cannibal. And then someone called the people shaming him, like, a like puritines. We also saw that term thrown around a lot during the uh, uh, kink at pride discourse last year. Oh yeah, for sure. Haven't seen much kink at pride discourse this year. Yeah, why, why do you think that is? Fry. I guess so. I guess so. They said we'll give you something to yeah, worry about. We're just trying not to get bombed this year. Yeah. <laughs> so who exactly are the puritines? What kind of zoomers are being accused of being puritines? Well, there's definitely a spectrum. I would say there's like, you know, there's different flavors mm -hmm. of puritine. There's like the tender queers. Those were people who are on the anti kink at pride side of that. Mm -hmm. Um, there's like the extreme ones who like don't think there should be sex in movies because the characters didn't consent to being watched. Um, okay, so those are the people who need to touch grass. Right. But so there's also the other side of the spectrum, which are like right wing no fap trad guys that think sex is disgusting and immoral and it shouldn't be shown because of that. Mm, so it seems like a lot of the tender queers are more women and non-binary people. And then you have like the boy side and those are like the angry incels. Yeah, yeah. No fat guys. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, and also people don't tend to call male puritines puritines, even though like, you know, these young, like socially conservative guys that are anti-porn, anti-casual sex, want to wait till marriage. Like it's part of the same phenomenon of like younger people having less sex and being slightly more sexually conservative, but they don't get called puritans because the stigma of being like puritanical or a prude isn't applied to men. I also think a lot of the so-called puritans who were socialized as women have the puritan mindset because it's a reaction to the millennial sex positive feminism we saw come up in the early 2010s. So that's like the women who were kind of spreading the rhetoric that the key to liberation is to reclaim being a slut. Right. YouTube motivational, like kind of sex positive women. Right. You know? And to be fair, there was kind of a place for that, especially with all the slut shaming that was happening at the time. Like, I think destigmatizing women sleeping around was a good thing generally back in the, you know, like late 2000s, early 2010s, because a lot of girls would fucking commit suicide when their grade found out they gave a blowjob. Like, do yeah. you remember those videos? Girls yeah. make video, like suicide videos of being like, I'm going to kill myself because I got called out for being a slut back then. So there was kind of, like you know a need for for that yeah i mean it definitely gave women more room to be human but i do think it went way too far especially because of just just the way things were going the way that men became sexually liberated in the 60s and women did not become sexually liberated until much much later arguably we still haven't been mm. Yeah, yeah, because, like, you know, after a while, they weren't just, like, it's okay to be a slut. It was, like, if you want to be a good feminist, you should be a slut, you know, or maybe maybe they were just trying to talk to other millennials, but, you know, we were on the other side of that screen at 11, 12 years old getting influenced anyway because we were just there, but nobody really said, like, this is just for adults. They just said, like, if you're a girl, it's your duty to let your freak flag fly, kind of. Yeah, like, we were fed this idea that having casual sex, being polyamorous, and doing BDSM made you, like, a more interesting 
interesting freer person. <laughs> like that's just what they do in Williamsburg. Take your top off. Right. Like anybody wants to be like they're from Williamsburg. <laughs> they all did in 2012. I guess so. That's true. Like if you're not a native New Yorker, you know, it's just like children don't need to learn about sexual hedonism. <laughs> I guess that does sound like I'm like being a total Puritan, but like <laughs> that is true. Like, like, Learning about sexual hedonism in particular comes after you have a baseline for safe sex exploration. And like schools are even trying to prevent that conversation from happening. So nobody's primed to receive as much info about sex as we got from as many different unreliable sources oh, yeah. as we did when we were young. Yeah, and Gen Z girls suffered the side effects of that, of our sex education being mm -hmm. internet porn and Lana Del Rey. <laughs> yes, I know I did. At 15 years old, I thought my greatest attribute was that I was good in bed, and that crossed my wires to this day. Right, and that's why you are far more critical of media that influences people's perceptions of sex. Yeah, like we know what's on the other side of a misconstrued message, kind of. Sex portrayal has to be really precise because media kind of shapes our cultural expectations. So there's not a lot of room for error and we're nitpicky. I mean, one wrong representation in someone's favorite TV show and now you got a kid like trying to replicate violent porn, age gaps, you know, poorly coordinated sex teens. It's, it's just brain melting shit. I put myself into situations that would be make great television but like should not have been a human being's real life. Yeah, I think like on that puritine spectrum of tender queer right wing trad, people who were a victim to the fourth wave millennial feminism push to be sluts are kind of like middle ground. Mm -hmm. And nice. maybe I'm just saying that because that's like what we are. Well, we like, are right. we're like the sensible, we're rational the puritines, yeah. unlike the other people that don't agree with us. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's just count them all. Yeah, I mean, look, we are speaking from experience and not from like, you know, the abstract theory or like, you know, political ideology. It's based on things that we've lived and seen, and that's the most reliable source we can really trust in our own lives. So I'm going to say yeah to that one. Precisely. So, okay, we know who the Puritans are. We know where we fall on that spectrum. Now, my question is, who exactly are the ones that are calling us that? Is it boomers? Is it Gen X? Is it millennials? Like, who who's doing it? Um, it actually appears to be mostly millennial Twitter users and journalists that popularized it. Okay. So then let me ask you something. Do you think that part of the reason that so many millennials are the ones writing these Puritan articles is because they were the ones responsible for the opposite kind of, like, pro-slut rhetoric in the first place? I'm not as sure about the men's since they weren't driving that as much. But I think millennial women are using the word puritine in a cope way. It's got to be a cope. Yeah. But so generally you found that men are the ones that use the word more? In my experience, I, I think so. I'm okay. not totally sure. Like this is literally just like source me on Twitter. Right. So from what like, you've seen. I mean, I think that that's a valid place because you spend a lot of time on Twitter. Yeah, that's true. So you're filtering through enough stuff that I, I'm going to take it I'm going to take it personally. I'll take it. Uh, the men, like, who say purity and, like, their argument is basically, oh, you guys should be out chasing tail and getting into to debauchery. Whatever happened to good old-fashioned American fun? Mm -hmm. That kind of classic, our generation was so much freer before the internet kind of sentiment. Right, and then at the same time, there's also that, like, weird anti-woke angle, and that's when people speak out against the Gen Z puritines who come online and point out graphic harm against women in media. And that's more people who are just, like, not necessarily just being 
dickishly nostalgic, but they're also claiming that wokeness is the thing that's preventing us from achieving the same freedom that they have. Like Exactly. And there's like a right. lot of a, a, like fucking overlap between these two things. Yeah, it like, sounds like that could be the same guy. It's the same it just guy. depends Sometimes on how Sometimes it's even the same sentiment, right. the same like thing. Plus, of course, the same people who feel threatened by like the long-term results of the Me Too movement probably feel kind of personally threatened by this whole thing or mm-hmm. you know those guys who are like you have to be so scared now everybody has to be looking over their shoulder like those guys yeah. are probably pretty pissed off about the puritan movement millennials and people with allegations are pretty annoyed at the whole situation <laughs> understandable so basically overall people are feeling confused and annoyed that gen z is not living up to the classic american sex fantasy and that confusion and annoyance Maybe it gets worse when you throw in the fact that we're so vocal about the morality of sex and media as a generation. Just generally, they're like, damn, these virgins are telling me I can't look at stepdaughter porn anymore. Go get some dick and screw that head on straight. Right, exactly. We're moralizing sex too much, and I feel like that reminds them of their parents because if you remember, previous generations, not really millennials, okay, like, let me just say that. Okay, I don't know what millennials are really doing here, but, like, <laughs> boomers and Gen X, like, there was a cultural fight to normalize sex that mm. they fought. And I feel like when they see younger generations kind of pushing back on this extreme acceptance of sexuality, it reminds them of their parents who thought sex was really taboo. And their whole thing was pushing back against that. Mm. So maybe the millennials who were raised by those people just, like, kind of had that sentiment built in because their parents fought for that kind of thing. Yeah, probably. And we're just And they still, you know, millennials were still not necessarily exposed to the negative outcomes of the male gaze. They didn't have all of like the feminist theory access and all the, you know, bullshit stuff that we can look at now to form better opinions on that. Because we're not saying that, you know, sexual freedom is a bad thing. In fact, we're saying that the way you achieve more sexual freedom is if you have some kind of regulations on it. But we'll get think to that. Critically. Yeah, think critically. Um, I guess the question is, you know, are the majority of us really puritanical? Is this just like, you know, old people thinking, you know, (laughs) that they had it better? Or is there some truth to this stuff? Well, Gen Z doesn't seem to think sex is as important as previous generations. Like, if you think of any coming-of-age movie, think of any coming-of-age movie from, like, the 90s or the 2000s, mm-hmm. like, Super Bad, American Pie, almost any male-driven comedy from the 20th century, there is a collective agreement that having sex is one of the most important things you can do. Like, the whole thing is, like, I need to lose my virginity. Everything was mm-hmm. about losing your virginity. Yeah, and I am so glad that we're kind of changing the narrative of that because honestly, it's exhausting for men and women. Like, like who wants to have their self-worth be dependent on bumping uglies? It's actually changing so much now that I know guys who have lied about being virgins to get with girls. That is fucking awesome. Like, that is insane. I love the modern world. <laughs> I love the modern world. I love. I want to live in my pod and have a guy <laughs> lie to me that he's a virgin to try to sleep with me and then me to say, no, I'm a lesbian. I fucking, I love modern society. What a role reversal. Guys used to lie about being experienced to impress girls, but now they're saying they're chaste virgins. Like, I love it that that's what women want these days. Women want a submissive, chaste virgin that is saving himself for them. That is amazing. That is amazing. (laughs) So I was going to say it's equally gross to deceive women to sleep with them no matter what. (laughs) (laughs) Boo-hoo. 
I mean, it's just like so silly that guys haven't found out that the way to actually get women is just to stop lying. <laughs> but it is good that I guess they're it's a step in the right direction. Right, maybe. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I guess, you know, because they're tapping into how girls kind of love those licked chick kind of Michael Sarah virgin guys, you know, the ones that feel kind of non-threatening. But I don't know. That's just based off of my observation. I guess we, let's break out the stats. Are we really puritanical or, you know, is it just that I'm noticing a lot of girls like those kind of guys? Okay, so according to a study done last year in the journal Social Science and Medicine, Gen Z doesn't drink, smoke cigarettes, or fuck as much as the previous generations. Yeah, and uh, according to a survey taken by Love Honey, which is a sex toy company. We really do love a reliable source. Look, just because they fuck doesn't mean the news is fake. Sluts get no credibility these days. Basically, the survey revealed that one in four 18 to 24-year-olds have never had sex. The Love Honey survey also says Gen Z reported wanting long-term relationships, not casual sex. Quote, young adults were also the most likely to consider sex on the first date to be a relationship deal breaker, with nearly (laughs) half, 48%, reporting this. End quote. So there's your answer about casual hookups. I guess you were right. I love being right so bad. The study also says that Zoomers are more likely to feel like they need to be in love with someone to have sex with that person. <laughs> I was not interviewed for this survey. I just want to say. <laughs> if my vote were in, it would have been a different answer. But okay, demisexuality, I guess, you know, I respect we're it. We're a romantic bunch. I think that makes sense. I mean, hookup culture kind of sways everyone to pretend that sex isn't biologically predetermined to make us feel intense and vulnerable. And I think it's probably more healthy to start thinking about sex as a serious decision. I mean, that's not what I do, but I think that's what would be healthy to do. Yeah, I mean, the brain releases chemicals when you come that attach you to the person who is making you feel that way. I mean, you know, older generation said, relax, it's just sex, is it? Is it just Because there's a lot of chemicals in your The chemicals brain that are what released. keep the baby-making industrial complex afloat. Yeah, exactly. It makes sense that the generation who's more worried about financial stability, sexual health, and is desperate for connection would be more selective with who they're oxytocin bonding with. They also say that, quote... Gen Z has the most trust issues regarding sexual wellness. We're less likely to accept partners disclosing sexual health verbally. We're more likely to demand test results. This combination of being cautious and not having a lot of trust in others can make sex itself feel dangerous and that it's not worth the risk. Yeah, and they also made the point that, like, compared to millennials and Gen X, Gen Z adults reported the highest levels of stress and anxiety. Um, and that because we feel more stressed and anxious, like, that's why we're less sexually active. So we're basically saying it ourselves, like, we're too freaked out to fuck. And that might be compounded by the effects of the pandemic, you know. So I guess it is kind of true that we do less bad boy stuff than other generations. Although we do just as many, if not more, drugs than them, which is worth noting. Maybe we're all just too strung out to fuck. Yeah, like, we as a generation have coke dick. Like, (laughs) that, apparently, that is true. That was the craziest thing when we started researching this episode, is that Gen Z, like, drinks less, has less sex, smokes less cigarettes, but... According to the National Institute of Drug Abuse, more people of all ages are doing drugs than the past 30 years, and young people, well, this is not according to them, but what we found in general in our research is that young people are doing more drugs than previous generations. That's the only thing we're doing more. (laughs) Yeah, great. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's just because we have more kids who go to art-based public high schools in major cities Mm -hmm. than ever before. (laughs) 
I feel like the Gen Z attitude towards drugs is the most liberal we've ever seen in a generation. Like, there really is a widespread acceptance of drug use. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I mean, on one hand, I think our generation has definitely destigmatized addiction a lot and has way more access to drugs through online resources and loves to post drug memes and just, like, even posts of them doing drugs. Like, I've literally seen people post just, like, shooting up heroin. Like, I've like, seen that, too. We've all seen We've that. all seen that. And then, like, the next, like, photo in the slide is, like, a screenshot of, like, their favorite song or maybe a silly text their <laughs> friend sent. Like, it's just, like... But then there's also other Zoomers in the comments of those posts, especially when they're public, like, on TikTok, who call drug glorification out for being cringe. You know, I guess... That is the difference, though, because before it was just like straight up degenerate to do drugs, but now it's okay to do them. It's just cringe to glamorize them, maybe. Yeah, it's also interesting that according to Bloomberg News, like we do more drugs, but we drink way less. Yeah, we probably uh, don't drink as much because we're too busy doing drugs. (laughs) You know, don't become a statistic zoomers. Drink while you're on drugs and make sure to get behind the wheel, too. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's dangerous to drink while you're on ketamine. Yeah, exactly. And we're all on ketamine. Exactly. Three seasons in and no one has convinced us to drop our pro drunk driving campaign yet. They couldn't if they tried. (laughs) Our best sponsor is the pro drunk driving lobbyists of America. So we fuck and drink less, but we do more drugs. Yeah, when you put it that way, we sound like a mess. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, honestly, literally, maybe that's where some of the fear from other generations comes from. Yeah, well, you know, I appreciate their concern, but calling us names isn't really going to fix that. You know, if they really want to understand our perspective on sexuality, I think we all need to first identify kind of like what defines a generation's sexuality and like how how is our generation's collective view on sex different from other generations? Well, sex icons are huge indicators of a generation's sexuality. Mm-hmm. That's true. So in the past, they had like, you know, Marilyn Monroe, Bridget Bardot, Pamela Anderson. I hate that those are all blonde white women, but. What can you do? And now we have, like, Belle Delphine. <laughs> Please don't say that she is our generation's sex icon. Already there did. so many other sexy women in this generation. I don't know. I think Belle Delphine really changed the game. I'm sorry for the worst, of course, but that's that's how degenerate people were. Like, that's why we need purity. <laughs> right. But in all seriousness, I don't know, maybe like Kylie Jenner and Margot Robbie. I feel like, though, honestly, like the sex icons today are just actual porn stars. Like, I think of like Riley Reed, Alexis Texas, Mia Khalifa, like re- just regular porn stars. That's so true. Our sex icons have no nuance. Yeah, I think also like um, an indicator of a generation sexuality is probably the c- political climate of a given time that affects us. Yeah, there were huge baby booms after World War II and 9-11. I joke that, you know, for our parents, those towers might have been down, but their dicks were up. <laughs> Both of my parents' dicks were up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's no aphrodisiac like grand scale tragedy. Yeah, unfortunately, our generation's historical event was one that required everyone not to touch each other. Mm, Well, when you say it like that, though, it kind of sounds like it almost could be sexy, like edging or something. (laughs) Also, of course, internet porn, I think, is a huge part of what formed our generation's sexuality. (laughs) Yeah, maybe like the only thing. Yeah, I was going to say that, the (laughs) defining thing, the thing that formed our generation's sexuality. I mean, yeah, that's not a hot take. I think we might have been negatively affected by watching women get raped all day on the internet. Oops. Yeah. It's, like, just so intense, degrading, and overstimulating that, like, there's no such thing as titillation anymore. Like, it's like we're over it. It's like, right. okay, like, I we're, can just yeah. Google, like, getting a- and p- 
Okay, like, all right. Oh, see a little forget the monitors and bleep that. Just bleep it. They don't need to know what she's looking up, but just put a bleep. Whoa, right whoa, there. whoa! That's not what bleep I'm looking up. Bleep this too. Bleep it just while that she's talking. That's not what I'm looking up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess we're just burnt out. You know, I guess older people kind of had fewer outlets for horny content, so it was more important to them to kind of preserve media that fed that male gaze because they only got like crumbs of it. We don't need shows and movies to show us teenagers having sex because you could just Google it. Like, if yeah. you. It feels like when men make exploitative shows, they're just rubbing in our faces what they now can get away with. It's like what they've always wanted to get away with, and now they can't. It's like, I guess the way we feel about that is how conservatives feel, like, since the internet is so queer and liberal, it's rubbing it in their faces. When Disney makes a white princess black or a little cartoon Italian gay boy, like, they're like, you guys already have the internet. Why do you have to take over TV, too? Like, that's how, like, Gen Z feels when we see, like, something super fucking gross and graphic on television. Yeah, I mean, I think that's so true. I think that's exa- it's exactly it. And the sentiment we're defending has the same moralistic, puritanical attitudes as those conservatives do against gay people, and that's why, or at least a similar moralistic, puritanical attitude, even if it comes from a better place. But that's that's why they call us puritans. Yeah, but we, you know, but yeah, but we're not clinging to the fucking Bible. We're listening to the stories that real people have of their experiences. Although I guess you could say Messiah's experiences were real or whatever. Yeah, and I'm listening to Jesus's experience. <laughs> so yeah, okay, but you know, like, are we? Fourteen-year-old girls are like getting harmed by hypersexualization. Let's think about that. Let's respond to the needs of a major social group in society. You know, like we're not reiterating dogma to protect the vague ideas of purity. In fact, I would say that Gen Z isn't concerned with purity at all. Gen Z actively tries to dismantle the false importance of like body count and virginity. You know, Gen Z walks around fucking half naked all the time. I can think of three songs about wet pussy that have come out in the past like two years. I mean, half the girls I've met in the past few months are like part-time internet sex workers. I feel like everybody that I meet is a part-time sex internet worker. Yeah, my tits point. are out right now. Yeah, yeah, you basically are. You know, and all those people who like dress that way and do these things and listen to this music and use dating apps and fucking club bathrooms, all these people that are our age and doing all the normal things are the same ones that are preaching about healthy portrayal of sex in media. Yeah, we definitely don't value purity as a concept as much and that's a good thing. Like, I want to make it one thing clear. Like, I am on the puritine side. Okay? <laughs> um, but we can find ourselves spewing similar talking points even if it's for very different reasons. Like, both a college student and your grandma could say, I don't want to see graphic sex in movies. <laughs> right, but is that, like, a, even a talking point? It sounds more like a shared opinion. It is just a shared opinion. It's just that a lot of people see the same idea and don't see the different reasoning. Right, like, maybe we both want to go to the park, but you want to go because you like monkey bars, and I want to go because I buried someone behind the bushes 20 years ago, and every few weeks I like to check if anyone's been digging where they shouldn't be. <laughs> not everyone who goes in the park is checking on a buried victim and not everyone who criticizes the culture sex narrative is a Puritan. They're also really annoyed that we're not having sex in cars anymore. <laughs> There's people dying, Kim. Yeah, well, according to this article by the National Review, parents to blame for carless, sexless teenagers <laughs> by Luther Ray Abel. Quote, Parents and their willingness to facilitate the lives of their teens while overprotecting their children's bodies at the cost of their minds are at least partially to blame for, you know, this generation not having as much car sex, end quote. Right. You know, just like, 
Everything else wrong with that aside, you have limited mobility in a car. Like maybe we're not having as much car sex because we're having more dynamic, freaky sex at opportune locations. Exactly. Our generation, we don't drive. How are we going to have sex in cars? Yeah, kids these days only know chastity and Uber. Like, I project the environment. I have sex on trains. <laughs> yeah, I've done over-the-pants stuff on a train. Doing over-the-pants stuff on a train is unironically doing more for the environment than any CEO has done in the past four years. <laughs> yeah, I'm being the America I want to see. Also, there's way more traffic cams and surveillance than there used to be. Like, gone are the days when you could just go to Dubcon Creek to lose your virginity <laughs> in the worst way possible. Now somebody's going <laughs> to See that. Yeah, you're Some, on TikTok. Now. Yeah, like you will be on TikTok. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, if you really wanted to, you could probably go to a creek to have car sex without being watched. They haven't dismantled all creeks yet. <laughs> I don't know. A lot of people have home security. Right, that's true. We do have a ring system at our swamp. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just so funny that people are using the decline of car sex to indicate that America is dying. And you know what? Mm. Maybe that does mean that a, a certain kind, a certain of, kind America of America is dying. Yeah. And maybe it's for the better. <laughs> yeah, like how much car sex are these guys having? If they want to keep up the tradition, they got to keep leading by example. Pop a Viagra and fog up those Honda windows for America. <laughs> so, of course, this episode would not be complete without the mention of the new Sam Levinson series, The Idol, which is currently stirring up a lot of controversy and is pretty much the perfect case study for what we're talking about. An absolute mess. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who don't know, The Idol is a new HBO show written by Sam Levinson and The Weeknd, and it's basically about a young pop star named Jocelyn, who's played by my girlfriend, Lily Rose Depp. I mean, actress and <laughs> daughter of Johnny You can't Depp. see, but I'm, I'm making a face <laughs> at her right now. <laughs> not my girlfriend, unless she wants to be. <laughs> Except that Jocelyn is not just any pop star. She is a <laughs> pop star that gets seduced by a slimy cult leader slash club promoter and abused in every way by him, begging for more the whole time. Oh, yes. Allegedly, it is supposed to be a commentary about the music industry in the 21st century, but I don't know. It doesn't really have all that much to say about it. It kind of reads more like a Wattpad story if teenage boys wrote Wattpad stories. So it's just like a sex fantasy then. Right, yes. <laughs> That's what I was thinking of, a sex fantasy. Yeah, it's been called like cartoonishly sleazy, desperate, pulsating, virgin horniness. And um, my favorite is reminiscent of a visit to the red light district during the pandemic. And those quotes are from The Guardian, Vox, and People magazine, respectively. <laughs> yeah, everyone hates it. They actually, in the show, showed a photo of Lily Rose Depp's face covered in cum. Like, why couldn't that have been implied? A photo, like, even if it's of fake cum, is indiscernible from a real picture of cum. It's just like, it's a paradox. It's a problem in itself. It's humiliating. Yeah, and Jocelyn is naked in like every scene, every other scene, if you're lucky. Everything lingers. They that they locked the intimacy coordinator in the closet in the first like scene as like a tongue-in-cheek joke. Yeah, it's just boring. You know what the most fucked up thing about the idol is? What? What kind of pop star name is Jocelyn? <laughs> I thought about that. I thought about that, but I didn't say anything because I thought it sounded mean, but it's true. It's like, a, hey, everybody, here's the new pop sensation, Brenda. <laughs> Jocelyn. Like, whose aunt is that? Exactly. <laughs> okay, all jokes aside, I could not help but notice something about the idol mm. that nobody else has talked about. <laughs> the way noticed. you're looking at me makes it look like jokes are not aside. <laughs> <laughs> jokes aside. 
jokes are not aside, <laughs> but Lily Rose Depp's character, Jocelyn, is the only not Jewish white character in the show. <laughs> like, I don't know if you guys noticed, like, I did a drinking game on the first episode. When I watched the first episode of The Idol, I played a drinking game where I took a shot every time a Jewish name was mentioned. And I got so drunk that I thought Dan Levy was Billy Eichner. <laughs> like, these, like, she's just surrounded by all these, like, sleazy music industry Jews or, like, evil people of color that are taking advantage of her. Even Trace, I looked him up too. Did you just look up to find out if Trace? I I thought you were googling it. (laughs) I had to Google it. But yeah, I was like, I was like, even Trace Vaughn, and then yeah, even Trace Vaughn. No, it honestly stuck out to me more than misogyny. Like this show is not about like how the music industry takes advantage of young women. This show (laughs) is about how Hollywood and the music industry and all of entertainment is controlled by Jews. But Sam Levinson is Jewish. Yeah, and okay, and he's trying to warn us. (laughs) You actually think we? We should be watching this. Yeah, we should this is be. What he, this is what actually is going on in Hollywood right now. Right, in the music industry right now. Yeah, yeah. Even Rachel Sennett is Jewish, even though she's Italian. Like once again, Rachel Sennett gets <laughs> cast as Jewish. <laughs> this is a, a, officially the fourth time we've talked about her on this podcast. You know what? You know what's crazy? Even she gets sexually exploited on the show. Yeah, there is a Rachel Sennett sex scene. They, they have her get naked too. It's just like people are really not talking about the race angle of the idol the way I thought they would be like I don't know I just couldn't help but notice them like this whole show is about like these like guys <laughs> named like David Nose Bankberg like molesting <laughs> this beautiful blonde woman <laughs> um <laughs> anyway yeah no you can platform that angle here but uh just like not too much because i do want lily rose Depp to like me lily if you're listening everyone is always saying i'm like a hotter funnier version of your girlfriend and oh seven oh shake if you're listening ignore that last part it looks brown <laughs> i hate you know what? and you know what i hate about the idol the way it tries to be self-referential by being like a satire of hollywood sexploitation but it just ends up like being hollywood sexploitation like it <laughs> actually feels like Sa- it does not feel like commentary it actually feels like sam levinson himself is going neener neener at me personally right. like as slipping his sex fantasy into an ironically <laughs> veiled package he's basically saying you can't cock block me america i'm just gonna get a blonde girl to show her tits again just like how i did with sydney sweeney right it's like a reaction you think to some of the criticism he got to euphoria yeah and yeah yeah yeah, and everyone who saw that one interview who thinks it's all okay because like, oh, but Sydney Sweeney's grandparents said that she had the best tits in Hollywood. Sydney Sweeney's family also had a Trump-themed birthday party hoedown. <laughs> so I would give Mima and Peepaw's opinion another guess. I think she was being exploited in her own ways as well. The real problem with the idol is that it's sexual, but it's not sexy. Yeah. Because the writing and acting is atrocious. Yeah, I mean, everyone said that. Like, they play it off like it's graphic because it's part of the story and it's supposed to kind of like make you feel uncomfortable but you can tell that the creators kind of meant for it to turn you on too and I think that they wanted to prove that point that sex sells even when it's selling you a torture porn fantasy that you like want to hate but you can't hate because the show is just that good like I think they wanted their audience to be repulsed and aroused and critical of the industry but also ironically complicit in it you know like watching the show you kind of become a part of it you're just as bad as the people watching Jocelyn get exploited like I think that's what they believe to be the meta genius of it but it all gets clouded because it's badly written. It was filmed for no budget. It's not interesting. Everyone on the crew says it was a genuinely just like negative work.
work environment to be a part of that capitalized on exploitation. It's like, you know, what what are they really? It would be interesting if it was done well and they actually had a point about what they were saying about the industry. Like, what are they really trying to say about the industry? That it's, that it's run by Jews. That it's run by Jews. <laughs> also, yeah, you being a Jewish lesbian young woman too. Like, I understand why you would feel personally <laughs> attacked. I do in the, feel in your, yeah, and, in, and you're also an independent music artist. Exactly, <laughs> I felt so attacked by this show. Also, it's worth noting that this project was originally written by a woman, but then the entire thing was scrapped and rewritten by Sam Levinson. According to a Deadline article, The Weeknd fired the original director, Amy Smets, because he said that the show was heading too much into a female perspective because of her. <laughs> yeah, it would have been cool to see her version, but then again, maybe it was just like too womanly and feminine. Too much by lighting and sparkles. Right. Ironically, the things that people love the most about Euphoria. There is a scene that got deleted, but there was originally supposed to be in the pilot where like the, I don't know if it was in the pilot, or it was in the show, but there was originally this scene where the weekend's character makes Jocelyn hold an egg in her vagina, and he says that if she lets it crack, then he's not gonna rape her, and then she begs him to rape her because she thinks that he is the key to her success. You could hear a pin drop. <laughs> Yeah, it's a lot to unpack <laughs> with the idol. <laughs> I think that Sam Levinson is maybe trying to make a genuine commentary about the music industry, but I also think he's like defending his right to be horny tooth and nail. And mm-hmm. look, I personally think that a lot of the best art comes from horniness. Yeah, I mean, you know, I can agree to a certain extent, but I also think there's just a point where. Let's <clears throat> see Right, yeah, and I agree. I mean, they're, like horny art can be cool to a certain extent, but there is just a point where sexuality stops serving the story and actually puts it at a disadvantage. You know, like even aesthetically, what's sexiest isn't always what's most graphic. That's why every single article is calling it try hard and an attempt to be edgy. <clears throat> um, you know, the show makes anyone feel like that one gif of Homer Simpson trying to escape all the women just trying to strip in front of him. No, literally. Also, if you're a guy or a dyke, just don't watch it with the girl you like. I tried to, and I could just feel her burning holes in me with her eyes every time Lily came on screen. It's just not worth it, soldiers. No, babe. I wasn't watching for Lily Rose Depp's perfect body. I was watching it so I could critically analyze it on my podcast later. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, what's worse? But yeah, no, the mass response (laughs) to the idol is an interesting indicator for our collective view on the male gaze and, like, portraying hypersexuality. I think... People are shitting on it so much right now. But honestly, I feel like the idol would have been pretty well received in the early 2000s or even in the 2010s. Oh, yeah, for sure. A hundred percent. Especially because she's like supposed to be based on Britney Spears, which I also think is so funny because that's kind of an outdated narrative in the music industry now. Like it would have been way more finger on the pulse if it happened then. Like it shows how old and out of touch Sam Levinson is. Like he doesn't even know what's going on anymore. We don't have many celebrities like that these days. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been more interesting if she was like a solo influencer musician turned industry plant. Like that would be more. Yeah. That would be more 21st century, more accurate. 
I also think this series would have just been way more palatable if they had cut it down into a movie. Like, it doesn't really feel like it's for anyone in particular. Yeah, it really doesn't feel in favor of young women, even though it claims to be. I'm always of the belief that a lot of the conversation about sex and culture and art and stuff boil down to, like, the two feelings of disgust and titillation. Like, if someone is disgusted by something, they'll say it's wrong and immoral. And if someone is titillated by it, they'll say it's so wrong, but it's so right. Mm. <laughs> yeah, by that definition, Sam Levinson and the Idol as a whole kind of represent that idea of titillation. Like, sex is sexy, and even if you hate what you see, you're still talking about it. Like, shock factor. Yeah, it all relies on shock factor instead of substance. So I think when people say the idol is disgusting, it's because it's sexual but not sexy. This kind of male fantasy. Yeah. The Drake music video fantasy. Or if she was a brunette, the young MA music video fantasy. <laughs> Right, yes. That fantasy is so obtrusive. If she was Latin and had some tattoos, it would be the young MA <laughs> music video fantasy. That fantasy is so obtrusive and unrealistic. Like, okay, the scene in the first episode where she was in the club, like, what girl is dancing like that in the club for real? She did not dance. She just posed a bunch of times. Like, and look, sometimes the male gaze produces some very sexy scenes. For instance, in From Dust Till Dawn, the Selma Hayek snake scene. That's a personal favorite. Oh, yeah, or any supervillain woman animated by a man. But what makes the Selma Hayek snake scene different from, like, that? Like, why is that sexy and well, Jocelyn is not? I think the main thing is that Selma Hayek is a good actress and Lily Rose Depp is not. But I also <laughs> think that the writing, like, respects the actors. The movie is a good movie. It's kind of graphic. It's kind of gross. Quentin Tarantino does suck whiskey off of Selma Hayek's toes. But it makes more sense. <laughs> somehow that makes more sense <laughs> but it does because the writing and acting are better mm -hmm. so it, it makes sense right so basically take us out to dinner first things are sexier to gen z when it feels like the whole thing isn't reliant on like sex appeal it's it's kind of post-ironic and maybe a response to that hypersexuality of the 2000s because it's not as cool to just show sex for sex sake it's desperate yeah, like, I, I'm trying to think of, like, sexed-up shows our generation likes. Like, I was trying to think of, like, what does our generation find sexy in media? And, like, I, it's really hard to think of that. Like, even though Gen Z loved Euphoria, it's actually all the sexual parts of Euphoria that we, that we always criticize. But then what is sexy? I mean, we're both from Gen Z. What do we think is hot? Um, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls ankle bracelets, um, the 2020 Democratic primary election <laughs> debates when Tulsi Gabbard was still why, in the race. Why didn't you say? Why, why are you guys laughing? Why, I didn't expect you to say ankle bracelets. You're laughing at ankle bracelets and not Tulsi Gabbard. <laughs> I just never knew that you liked them. They're so random. I mean, honestly, like, I kind of have a thing for them, too, but I've never vocalized it. It's just, like, weird it's that you... It's all on the table now. Yeah, yeah I guess we, we really are, like, Puritans. I'm like, what's Sense your loins ablaze, and you're like, when a lady adorns her ankles. <laughs> I like ankle bracelets because, like, I wear all the other classically sexy clothes that I like. Like, I take care of the halter tops and mini skirts in the relationship. Right, you need her to pull the ankle bracelet weight. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That's such an interesting phenomenon, and one that I experienced too. I think where it's like things you admire but don't resonate with about womanhood is like things you're drawn to in other women a lot of the time. Like I don't love being hyper feminine, but because I admire that in other women, I look for that in other women. But yeah, anklets. Yeah, or maybe there's just like a little foot fetish hidden somewhere in my brain. <laughs> yeah, it's just dormant wait, waiting for the right foot. Yeah, you know, they say like sometimes like, you know, they say if you get COVID, it can like activate like diseases that you had. Like maybe 
maybe so maybe I got, if you get COVID I got, yeah, again, I'm one COVID infection away <laughs> from being full on into foot stuff. Hey, that's okay. I've given some sexy foot massages. I've sucked a few toes. Oh well, yeah, I've sucked toes. Yeah, and that's less foot fetish adjacent than ankles. I mean, it's the same ballpark. You know, we dance on the cusp of having a foot fetish in more ways than one. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> So final statement, Gen Z thinks having a foot thing in a chill way is hot. Yeah, the hottest thing you can do to a Gen Z woman is take her out to dinner, say you're going to be her boyfriend, and then like do a little foot stuff after getting her consent. But for her, not you. Yeah. (laughs) Make sure you get between them toes. Yes. (laughs) So, you know, overall, it kind of feels like being fed exploitative content kind of forces us to be the exploiters and kind of engaging in that just fuels this drive for consumption anyways. And so because we're in a consumer mindset, you know, we're always constantly consuming food, merchandise, ideas, everything all day. We're just Kirby style of vacuum sucking it in. We end up having this accelerated kind of manifest destiny attitude about life and racking up experiences. And especially when you're young and there's this pressure to squeeze as much juice out of our youth as possible, you can kind of end up falling into this cycle of saying yes to everything out of fear that you'll have regrets and this whole industry of capitalizing on like trying to maintain the American sex fantasy just fuels that FOMO fear in young people. Tomorrow is not promised. We must fuck today. Exactly. And plus the pandemic and everything, you know, compounded everything. So everyone feels like they kind of have to make up for lost time. Even if we don't want to candy flip and have sex with a stranger in a room full of people, we have to do it anyways. It's like a compulsion. Yeah, I think it all goes back to the very first conversation we ever had on this podcast, which is we talked about YOLO fear. Mm, definitely, yeah. So YOLO fear, for those of you who haven't heard that, is kind of the idea that we're driven to take risks by the fear of dying and not by a true lust for life, You know, which inherently kind of taints the outcome of every experience because when we make a decision out of fear, that decision is just going to be reactive because it's a reactive thing you know and I believe that there's actually something that is inside of us some kind of like higher consciousness that gets upset when we be when we behave reactively you know something that requires us to move out of love if we want to reap the benefits of it kind of no literally like let me just say something okay that YOLO fear will ruin your life at 15 years old YOLO fear and FOMO are the most lethal things that a 15-year-old girl can have. Or anybody. I mean, that shit follows you. Like, I guess if you develop it at 15, you're going to have it, like, for a long time unless you actively dismantle it. It happens in a real way. When you live in YOLO fear, you kind of put your self-worth and your potential for happiness onto your ability to experience things. And our ability to experience things at a given time is always going to vary. So you're just, like, throwing yourself into a paradox. Mm -hmm. You're never going to experience everything. You will inevitably have to face FOMO so much... So no matter how much stuff you do, you'll always have failed somewhere. And worst of all, it makes it feel like putting up boundaries always feel like a betrayal of your life goal, even when those boundaries are there to protect you. It's just insane that so many of us have convinced ourselves that if we don't let literal addiction lead the way, we will have a bad life. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. The scary part is that like it feels like the people who are calling us puritans are kind of weaponizing our quote unquote prudishness against us and like fueling that kind of FOMO fear, that YOLO fear, basically saying that we're unqualified or invalid to criticize certain sexual representation, you know, because like it's like you think you kids think you can just cancel sex, but you just don't get it. Yeah, they have this weird entitlement to the sexual climate of the 90s that they call freedom, but in reality was mostly just like misogyny and date rape. Mm -hmm. And they try to like gaslight us into thinking those were better (laughs) days and that we're just overestimating the effect sexual media can have on the world. Yeah, meanwhile, it's like, 
people are just trying to account for the fact that we're way more influenced by media than ever before because we just can't escape technology anymore. We're consuming so much that it's part of our reality. It's like, it's not like you can just watch a half an hour of a TV show that you don't like on a box and then turn it off and forget about what you saw. You know, now you binge, you hate watch a show for six hours straight. You know, your phone hears you watching it and serves you 12 YouTube video breakdowns of what you just watched. And then your TikTok is going to pick up on that and show you 24 videos of it on your you, on your For You page. And then you see everyone defending behaviors you condemn, everyone drawing attention to something you don't like. It's overwhelming for anyone, no matter what side of the culture war you're on. Definitely. There's a real line blurred between the internet and reality. And so people moralize what happens in media because it's just as much a part of their lives as events they're experiencing in the real world. Like in the pre-internet days, people more so knew that characters weren't real. Well, I mean, I do know a book character that millions of people think is real without any evidence except for the book. Wait, who? The most famous book character that people think is real. What? Wow, she's so Jewish. It's Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I literally was like Moby Dick. <laughs> What happened? I just like kicked the computer by accident. Oh, I'm okay. so sorry. Um, yeah, like the whale. <laughs> <coughs> Um, okay, yes, in the context of religion, people have always taken characters seriously, but we're talking about, like, the internet and Hollywood. People's attitudes have changed and gotten more hypervigilant these days. Yeah, I mean, the internet is as pervasive in our lives now as religion was in pre-internet days. You know, I think the lines between story and reality are kind of always blurred in the context of morality because storytelling is our best vehicle for getting agendas across, so obviously that's going to be the best, like, breeding ground for conflict about those things. I think, like, society will always impose morals on stories, and that's what we've always done. But now we see so many stories, so we have like even more opinions. It's more about like the platforming of it. Yeah, exactly. Like it's like you know, if you have a bad experience, you can go on Twitter immediately. Forty, you know, thousands of people can immediately see what happened. Right. So we need to like account for that. I think that people are way more aware of reach than they used to be. Like the stakes of an argument about a piece of media are much higher now because everyone knows how many people are affected by it. Anything can kind of gain traction and spread like a wildfire. Everyone is more concerned with what's being spread. Yeah, and I think that's reasonable. Like everybody has more access to everything, so we need to watch out. Can't just like you know put it on after midnight yeah. so the kids don't see it. Exactly, it's not the '90s anymore. That's why we're not fucking like the '90s. Things change, old man. Exactly. <laughs> Ultimately, the problem with the term puritans is that it lumps together people from across the ideological spectrum who all have completely different nuanced personal reasoning for not wanting to see certain kinds of sexual content and it belittles some reasoning that is just more sensible than others. You know, real voices get drowned out in petty discourse when you paint us all with the same stroke. Why do we laugh when people say don't sexualize Hannibal because he eats people, but we don't laugh when people say don't engage with the idol because it propagates exploitation? You know, maybe because generally people are more likely to sexually assault people than eat them. You know, the moral standing on cannibalism is much clearer in this country than our understanding for long-term harm done to women unfortunately you know but like let's prioritize one thing at a time it's so funny the the human urge to sexualize evil monsters mm -hmm. like like women were sending love letters to the parkland shooter that's why we need puritans <laughs> that was a level of degeneracy that should never be allowed to happen again also the term puritan i said this in our sex on the internet episode it's just gross you're 35 get a grip yeah and also, like, for those who are arguing about the right to create, like, sexual media, 
if you want to be really groundbreaking, it's not about being graphically sexual anymore. It's about finding the stories that haven't been told yet and telling them. You know, those stories were once very provocative, graphically sexual ones, because those stories weren't being told, but they're not provocative anymore. You'll only find what's truly provocative in spaces that are developed out of marginalization. You know, the voices who have been historically silenced tend to be more fascinating and the most truly edgy. If The Weeknd and Sam Levinson really wanted to make a show that challenged the structure, then it would have gotten the perspective of people whose identities inherently subvert that structure. You can't really criticize a system that's flawed because of capitalism and white supremacy and the patriarchy through a capitalist white male patriarchal perspective. You know, and you're an idiot not to listen to the queer POC people on the other end of fucking Twitter desperately trying to tell you that. We're trying to help you help yourself, bro. Yeah, it's not like we don't want movies and shows about sex. Gen Z love that Netflix show Sex Education and everyone is super excited for that movie that's coming out with Rachel Sennett Bottoms. I'm excited for it. We know you're excited for everything that woman is in. (laughs) But yeah, the gays run the internet and you must submit to pleasing us. And with that, thank you guys for listening. We are so happy to be back. You can follow us on Instagram at what's going to happen pod or on Twitter at WGH pod. And don't forget to subscribe to our Patreon where we take requests for episode topics, Q and A's and post bonus episodes every once in a while. And from my first and last day of being Sam Levinson's queer intern, this has been what's going to (laughs) happen.